Welcome back to What the Fertility podcast. Today we have Elena on with us to talk about her fertility diagnosis at just 23 years old and the several years that it took for them to conceive their first son and how she really turned that into her full-time career. So welcome and thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Absolutely. So I would love to kind of hear um, from the beginning because I know you were almost like a pioneer in terms of sharing your fertility journey online um, because you started sharing right in like 2017. Yep. Yeah, a while ago. Earlier than that, I think even. So um, yeah, so I was um, 23 and I had met my now husband and I had been on um, birth control for a while and um, you know, I love birth control. We use it all the time um, in the fertility community for, as you know, many things. Um, but I just was kind of like, oh, I've been on it for a while. Um, I'm with this guy. And like, there's other ways to not have a baby. And like, let's just see what my body does off birth control for a little while. And then I had like one period, which is probably just like a withdrawal bleeding from stopping the birth control. And then I just like didn't get a period again. And so I was like, well, that's weird and, but nice, but weird. And so I went to see an OB and they were like, oh, <clears throat> it's fine. You're a runner. You're thin. It's fine. Just like totally you're, you're 23. You'll be okay. And then I was like, mm, something's not right. Like I'm not like too thin where I like shouldn't be having a period. And then like, I started getting really bad acne and like lovely hair growth and just all these like weird symptoms. And I just didn't feel like myself. And so then I went back to the OB and I was like, hey, I really like something's not right. Like I need you. It is not normal to not have a period. <laughs> like I need you to figure this out. And so um, they kind of somewhat regardingly like did an ultrasound and saw that I had um, polycystic ovaries. And then um, I don't even think they did blood work at the time, but come to find out later on, I did have like elevated testosterone and stuff. And I met all three criteria for PCOS, which you only really need me too. Yeah. So what are those three criteria? Because I, I yeah. know like that's like during the initial, you know, when you first go in, that's one of the first things yeah. they look for, but with you being a nurse practitioner in the yeah. fertility world, can you kind of break that yeah. down for everyone? So again, at this time I was an ER nurse. And so like, don't do a lot with the reproductive system, you know? So I didn't really know much myself either. And it actually amazes me how many of us, even in the healthcare profession, like don't know as females mm -hmm. how our bodies work. It's just interesting. And so just, I didn't really know much at the time either. Um, but so for PCOS, we look at um, like a regular cycle patterns with periods, either oligo or anovulation, which I was having. I just was maybe having like two periods a year. Um, and then you also want to look at clinical or, um, uh, signs like, um, acne, severe acne, um, unusual hair growth pattern, um, <clears throat> lovely little hair, you know, that would pop up in places that it should not be. And then, um, you can also look at, you know, like I said, the elevated, um, blood work, um, like testosterone levels, um, AMH sometimes can be really elevated. I think mine was, um, like a 14, um, yeah, that's the one that I know yeah. I've had friends be like, yeah, my AMH is a nine. And I'm like, I think you might have some other yeah. <laughs> concerns like, going on. Like maybe you oh, yes, can have an elevated, but once you get to a certain range, like AMH of 20 is just not, um, sounds great, but it's sometimes not. And so yeah. just, 
Um, yeah, and then the polycystic ovaries on ultrasound. So you really only need two out of the three, and I kind of checked all those boxes. Um, <clears throat> and then again, um, and I was listening to your podcast with Dr. Snow, I believe it was, and it just kind of resonated with me because she talked about 23-year-old getting diagnosed, and she talked a lot about referrals. And so um, the OB I was seeing was like, oh, it's okay. You have PCOS. Like many people conceive with PCOS. Um, we can put you on birth control for symptom management and things like that, and, um, which I was fine with. But I also knew I really wanted to have children with my now husband. Um, and so I just wanted to know how that would look for me. Um, and I wanted some clearer answers. Um, <clears throat> and so I sent myself to reproductive endocrinologist and, you know, That's most amazing. people don't realize like you don't need a referral to really come see us. I mean, yeah. you can make an appointment, um, and we'll talk you through it and whether it's maybe, you know, maybe you end up not needing us or not needing us just yet, but it's never hurts. I'm an information person. I think it never hurts to have as much information in front of you as possible to help you make your own educated decisions with the guidance of a healthcare professional. And so I yeah. love that because, and your story I think is really unique and I absolutely love how you went about, you know, your fertility journey in itself. Yeah. But I know you guys yeah. started trying even before you got engaged, yeah. correct? Yeah. So yeah. I think like you going ahead and referring yourself and just being so confident and knowing like, I want to have all the information so that yeah. I can kind of plan out my next few years. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. Like how, so when you went to the fertility yeah, specialist. So at that point I was probably, oh gosh, 24. 24, 25, time gets a little older, yeah. but I was you know, a little bit older and um, a year or two later, went to see an REI and um, he, um, you know, people talk about like ovulation predictor kits and things like that and timing intercourse and I just didn't get periods and I wasn't ovulating and so I could not do those things. So trying naturally was not really an option for me. I mean, I couldn't take ovulation kits because I wasn't ovulating and I couldn't figure out like when I was going to ovulate based on my last period because my last period was seven months ago. And so just wow. things like that was just like not an option for me. And so, um, he kind of did some more blood work and said, <clears throat> well, um, you know, again, people with PCOS, yes, we do have great success with them on medications like letrozole. We use a lot and, you know, some Clomid and things like that. Um, but, um, you know, you, if you want to try now we can, but no real pressure, you know, again, you're young and healthy. And I kind of was like, well, let's just like, see how I do on a medication. And if it works, I'll have some peace of mind that I, Oh, I can ovulate and things like that. And <clears throat> again, I can't really remember, but I, I had done a couple rounds of letrozole and I kept increasing my dose and I just wasn't getting the response they were wanting. And, um, I then tried Clomid, I believe. And then I ended up doing letrozole with um gonal f which you all i'm sure are familiar with with um for ivf and yeah. so at that point you know and those those gonal pens those are the worst those are the, wor those are the worst cost. and the out of in cost though too i mean you're paying oh, like yeah. eight, so nine, dollars, thousand dollars you know of a again i didn't have any infertility coverage with my insurance and so just you know i was sitting there and i'm paying like X amount for an ultrasound, X amount for this pen, having to give these shots. And then I'm going into these ultrasounds. And because of my PCOS, once they gave me a little bit of that gonal, my ovaries were like, oh, hey, this is what uh -huh. I'm supposed to be doing. 
So then they were like, oh, by the way, would you like to sign this waiver? Oh <laughs> my gosh. So many eggs pop up that like you have a very high risk of multiples. And so, you know, my husband's like checking to see if the window open because he's like ready to jump out because you know, they're like, there's six balls. <laughs> like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah. And so it was just, I was like, okay. And so we did actually, which <laughs> looking back, like, I'm just like, why did I do that? But we did end up doing um, two rounds of IUI with um, the letrozol and the gonol. And I had a early biochemical with the second one. And then we kind of just took a breather. I was going to, um, at this point, <clears throat> was getting my family nurse practitioner. And I was like, let's just kind of take a breather and, you know, take step back, you know, hey, we know I can make, you know, great follicles now <laughs> with a little bit of gonol. <laughs> my <laughs> body loves that. So let's just take a breather. Um, yeah. And then we moved to, um, back to Kentucky and I just kind of having been in the women's health care as a patient, I just really fell in love with it. And so, um, even though I loved my role in the ER, um, and I got my FNP to hopefully stay in the ER, I wanted to know more for my own sake. And just as a, <clears throat> I don't know, I loved it as a profession. So I went back and got my women's health, um, nurse practitioner as well. And, um, yeah, so this kind of just came full circle and I was doing, I came to a clinic here, which I now work at, um, as a patient when we moved here and, um, Dr. Hunter, when he listens to this is going to laugh at me because I kind of came into his office and was like, Hey, look, I know, you know what you're doing and sure you can give me some letrozol and stuff, but like, let's just cut to the chase. <laughs> like, I, I want, that. I know I want, you know, more than one child, hopefully I don't want to be doing these rounds of like IUI after IUI. And, um, <clears throat> I mean, I love IUIs and I love letrozole, but just for me personally, I just, it was getting really hard to push my body to where it needed to be to get the results we needed for a successful IUI. Um, and then we almost had too good of results where I had just the anxiety level of multiples and things. And so I was like, let's do IVF. <laughs> and so, um, we point, talked about you, it. At that point, did no like doctor at your last clinic, did they not suggest <laughs> it? What? Uh, like they hadn't suggested it yet, but it was always on the table. It was again, you know, we never want to, um, and again, as a provider now too, I, I never want to push someone to the most extreme and you never want to do that if, unless you, I mean, no one wants to do IVF. Yeah. I mean, um, it's exhausting. There's lots of shots involved. Um, there's so many appointments, the cost, um, just all of these things. And so if we can get other things to work first, we always would love to make that happen. But again, for me, it has been like a decent amount of time. Um, and I was just having this risk of multiples and things like that, that I just did not feel comfortable with. And just, um, and so again, we kind of talked about it and decided let's do IVF. Um, so yeah. And at that point, so I, I think, cause we're friends in real life. Yeah. <laughs> so like yeah. I had followed this all, you know, yep. the last five, six years of your life when you were sharing. So the IUIs, you guys were engaged at that point. Is yes. That so we were, um, engaged. Uh, yes, we were engaged. And so that was kind of like interesting too, is that, you know, we kind of sat down and we're like, look, this could take one month to figure out, or like, this could be an very long process. And we kind of like, even we're very open with our families. I mean, kind of sat down and I was like, look, we can start working towards having a family and figuring out what's going to work for my body and potentially get pregnant. Um, or, you know, we can wait till later, but that can just, as you know, just 
and yes, I was 25, 26 at this point, but like age matters. And like, if I figured, if I could start figuring this out when I was younger, the better. And so they were, they gave us their blessing, you know, we knew we were going to be together. We knew we wanted to have children. And so we kind of just wanted to get the ball in motion. And so then by the time we kind of moved to Kentucky and had the IVF talk, um, we were, and again, Dr. Hunter, who I work with is going to laugh because I was in his office and, um, I was not working with them yet. I was still finishing my family nurse practitioner and my women's health. And, um, I was like, Hey, I let, you know, let, yes, let's do IVF. But if we could just like wait till like after the wedding, cause I've already had my dress fitted and he was just like, you're ridiculous, but yes, we can, we can make that work. And then we had to like postpone a little bit more because we went to Bali and there was like that Zika pre COVID. So like Zika was the thing that everyone's worried about. So he was like, so then we had to like be back for Zika, um, precautions. And, um, so that was hilarious, but, um, yeah, so we started doing IVF, I guess it was two, three months, two or three months after our wedding. And then, um, you know, did stims, did my retrieval, had a great results, um, and had embryos nice, um, frozen, tucked away in the lab. And, um, we did, we started prepping for our first transfer and I just have a really annoying uterus. (laughs) And so my lining was not cooperating. And so we kind of like tried a couple other things and we had a shared decision-making, which is one of the things that I really love about the doctor that I work with. And, you know, he was like, we can push forward with what your lining is now, um, or we can kind of go from scratch and start again. And, we decided to go from scratch and start again and then tried a little bit different estrogen protocol for me and then did our transfer right after I took my boards for my family nurse practitioner. Like I took my boards the day before and then like the next day got pregnant and was like, let's just do it all at once. (laughs) Wow. I know. Well, that's why I wanted to go back and talk through the timeline because like if people go to your page and and kind of look through, it's so beautiful because it was years that you guys tried and then you get yep. engaged and you kind of try again. And then yep. you basically see that you get married, yep. you pass your boards, yeah. you become a nurse practitioner, yeah. and then you get pregnant. Yes. And it was just like all at once. And then I basically at my last ultrasound before getting, you know, graduating, getting kicked out of the IVF clinic, mm-hmm. I was like mid ultrasound and was like, hey, here's my resume. I want to work for you. And and so I, um, at, right after I finished my women's health NP and did my transfer, I went right back to get my, uh, my family nurse practitioner, went right back to get my women's health at Duke. Um, and so I started that program when I was like five weeks pregnant, I think. And, um, I started doing clinical hours at the clinic that I now work at and that I was a patient at. So that was great. I did lots and lots of hours there, um, as both the current patient, you know, I was pregnant. And then as a student, um, who was hoping to work there one day, How was that? <clears throat> like being able to see both sides of it like, as the patient, it's, interesting. Like, it's very interesting. It. You like really appreciate everything that goes into every cycle, whether it be a timed intercourse cycle, um, you know, a monitored cycle with an IUI or timed intercourse, um, all the way up to IVF. And as I think you all spoke with, you know, Paige about ICSI and things like that. And it was, I think one of the coolest moments was when she brought me into her lab and she was doing ICSI and I was like, oh, that's how Z. Like, this is literally, you know, just such a cool moment. And so you made my son. Like, that's cool. Thanks. That's <laughs> so, cool. Yeah. Really neat. 
it was really neat. So, um, so yeah. And then I had my son over a two week break from school. <laughs> I was like, we have two weeks to get this baby out. So I had him over a two week break from school. And then I graduated from that program when he was, I want to say like three months old and then wow. started working, um, with Dr. Hunter at Kentucky Fertility Institute. And not to mention he was born in 2020. So you did yeah. all of this through like During pandemic. Peak, yeah. Peak I know. I'm like, I've been trying for years to get pregnant and now it's like this crazy pandemic time. So <laughs> it was great. So oh, I'm so interested in what a nurse practitioner's role is in a fertility clinic, right? Yeah. Because my, so I have gone through two different REI um, groups and I don't believe I ever encountered a nurse yeah. practitioner in those <clears throat> clinics. So could you speak on that a little bit? Like what your interaction is with the patients, yeah. et cetera. So the clinic I'm at now did not have a nurse practitioner when I was going through as a patient, but my clinic in Virginia had had a nurse practitioner and I loved her. I usually saw the head doctor there and then there was another physician and then the nurse practitioner. And if the doctor, my main doctor wasn't available, I actually preferred to see the NP over the other doctor. I just didn't get as good of vibes. And so I really loved seeing her. And she um, had been with that clinic for a long time. And so I love seeing her and she kind of inspired me to pursue the role that I now have. And it kind of, um, the clinic I was at had had some nurse practitioners in the past and just, they hadn't really found a way to make it work. And so I just kind of, Hey, hire me and we'll make this work and we'll find it out, you know, what's going to work. And so, um, right now I do a lot of, um, like ovulation induction cycles for people who want to do like either unmonitored, whether, you know, taking letrozole and doing OPKs and either coming in for an IUI or timing intercourse. Um, <clears throat> I do a lot of IUIs, so lots of inseminations and letrozole cycles for that. Um, I do lots of ultrasounds every day. Um, so that's kind of my main thing. HSGs, um, the, I don't know if you all have ever had that where they kind of take yep. the x-ray of the pelvis, look at the tubes. Yep. Um, I do those. Um, and then just I help Dr. Hunter with record reviews and things like that, just with oncoming patients um, to kind of organize patients past workups that they've had with either their OBGYN or other fertility clinics and kind of seeing where we need to move forward um, from there with them. I love that. I think that's so cool too, just knowing like you went through it as the patient yeah. and just then being able to do everything on the back end and just seeing the patients. And like, I feel like just being so empathetic with the patients yeah. too. Like, I feel like you just understand now on a different level that, you know, some physicians or nurse practitioners may not be able to. I, I really love it. Like I, um, I really think it does give an interesting spin. So I do most of the ultrasound monitoring for IVF patients. Um, and then again, for like IUI cycles and things like that. And so, um, you know, when they're on like day eight of stems and they're like really bloated and they're coming in like, Oh, I can only wear leggings. I'm like, girl, I, I feel you. Like, trust me, I got it mine in the summer. Cause I was able to address it, you know, like, and so they kind of feel like, real. <laughs> yeah. Or like when they're like, Hey, like I, I feel like they feel um, and I hope they feel more comfortable asking me some questions sometimes, like, um, sometimes my appointments are on a little bit long, but it's, I think it's cause you know, Hey, I'm having this really weird vaginal discharge, you know, like they yeah. might not have otherwise said something, um, but they feel Absolutely. more comfortable asking me. Um, and like, I'm going through an FET right now. And so like, I'm currently breaking out. I'm on all those lovely hormones. I'm like covered in sticky estrogen patch, like leftover residue and just things like that. And yeah. like I had someone complaining about that to me the other day and I like looked, I was like, 
I'm with you. Like, and so we were like talking about like how to remove estrogen patches, the like sticky residue that's left over and things like that. Or, um, you know, when someone's really anxious about getting HSG test done, you know, I've had that. I've had a saline ultrasound. I, I know that it's uncomfortable, but it's typically short lived and like just breathe through it. It's worth the information we get and just, um, so things like that. And, you know, I talked about that, that transfer that, um, we canceled and, People who are, I, I think, especially people who have never been going through infertility um, or fertility procedures have a hard time understanding. Like, I was devastated. Like, yes, cool, let's do what's best for my body in this transfer. But I sat in my car in front of the office and cried because it was a two to four week delay, which is nothing in the grand scheme of life. But two to four weeks in your journey to hopefully starting your family is a big delay. And so I, you know, I truly resonate with patients when I have to tell them like, I'm so sorry, you have a follow-up about your baseline scan. Like we're going to have to delay starting IVF or delay your FET or, you know, your lining's not really getting where we want it to get, you know, we need an extra week of estrogen. And, you know, most people say, oh, an extra week of estrogen, big whoop, you know, but like, when you're in the thick of it, it is like everything. Yeah. Like, I guarantee you that person was like, okay, my transfer is probably going to be next Monday. This might be my due date. And like, it oh, sounds yeah. crazy, but we all do it. And so they have to sit there and like, you know, oh, my, my baby's now going to be born, you know, a week later than that, or, or, you know, just little things that we think of or, um, so it's just interesting, I think, to have that perspective. Well, somebody asked in the Q and A's on Instagram, basically everything you just said, like, does it make it harder now to be a practitioner having been the patient? Um, but maybe just like expanding on that a little bit more, like I guess with PCOS, does it make it, it almost makes it seem like it's easier because you just said you're doing another FET. So you're like, okay, well, I know that this is truly the best thing for me, for my diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah. And again, um, you know, love letrozole and time intercourse and IUIs for PCOS, but just for my type of PCOS that I had and just my, my person. And that's the other thing I love about our clinic. We really take someone's personal timeline into consideration. Like, yes, I was young. Yes. I, you know, had healthy ovaries that would respond to gonal, but like my timeline was now I wanted to start my family now. And so, um, and I knew I wanted to have more than one children and I knew I wanted to streamline that. And so, um, so yeah, I think that's helpful to take into consideration for every patient. Like, you know, a 23-year-old is still, I don't want to start a family. A 20, we have 28-year-old, 19-year-old patients that come see us that have, you know, ovulatory dysfunction. And so just, <clears throat> they're allowed to start their family whenever they want to start their family. And um, same with weight and things like that. Like we, yes, you know, getting to a healthy weight, whether you're low or high is ideal, but like, it, it's not for me to say though, like you cannot even try to start a family yet until you do X, Y, Z, you know, and lose X amount of weight. And we'll see you in five years when that happens. Like that's not really for me to say. And so yes, we'll help you get there and we'll help you work towards a healthy lifestyle and goals. But at the end of the day, like it's not for me to delay that. So, um, but yeah, I think going through as a, you know, as a provider is just interesting. Um, yeah, I, I think I, I, with my first, um, like rounds of, um, like frozen embryo transfer and even IUIs and stuff. Like I did the max, like I did acupuncture all the time and like all the supplements and things. And so that's a, that's the next question is, yeah. you, and, and I know like once people start going to page, they'll see that you did all of the holistic yeah. things. <laughs> I did all of the things. And then like all the things that I like can't even mention because I like don't even want to like admit that I've tried these, but just, <laughs> um, and like, yeah, it's just, 
I try to tell my patients and like same now, like I'm not drinking all the tinctures with this right now. And again, yes, it very well could help, but, um, do what works for you. Like I loved acupuncture and I like have been so busy. I've not been able to do it. Like I would like to, but like, I loved acupuncture because it was my hour a week to just relax. And so whether that really helped my, you know, overall outcomes, you know, but if you, it's not going to financially strain you or stress you out. Or like, if you hate needles, don't do acupuncture. Like I had this one patient who was like deathly afraid of needles. And she was like, I really heard acupuncture would help. And like, I'm really going to try it. And I was like, do not stress yourself out by like laying on this table covered in needles. Like that is not helpful to anything. And so she's like, oh, okay. And so, um, yeah, I think do what works for you. Don't go spend like crazy. Even some people pay like thousands of dollars on all these supplements and just, um, at the end of the day, like whether you've taken like X amount of wheatgrass shots is not going to like tip the scales significantly. Like, you know, don't sit there and torture yourself with wheatgrass shots. If you don't like, you know, just, or whatever it might be. Um, no, I think that is so encouraging just because I know like for, you know, Kat and I going through this too. And so many of our listeners, like Mm. so much pressure on ourselves of what can change because so much of it is out of our control, right? So we think we can like change lifestyles or add in, you know, acupuncture, the wheat crash and it will do all the difference. And as much as we want to say yes, you know, it will help, but there's just no way of knowing. So I think it's so encouraging to hear as someone who one has been through it and also in the field that, you know, we don't have to put that much pressure on ourselves if we don't yeah. want to, but we don't have and to. And I think again, like if it's going to like add extra financial strain, like this is already an expensive process. Like don't do it. If this is going to, if you're afraid of whatever, or like you don't like sitting in a um, infrared sauna, or you don't want to, you know, sit there and take 20 extra pills in addition to the other pills you're already having to take, like just give yourself some grace and like, you don't need to do those things. Um, you know, if it makes you feel like you're in more control, sure. Um, but you don't have to do those things. Yeah. yeah. I'll tell you for me. So we've got gone through one IVF cycle. We only got one embryo. So I'm yeah. having to start from scratch. Right. So like full egg retrieval <laughs> thing. And the first time around I was like psychotic, yeah. All, As <laughs> like just what you were saying, things I don't yeah. even want to admit. Um, and this time around, I will tell you, I haven't started taking a prenatal. Yeah. Like I haven't yeah. even I haven't been back to acupuncture since the yeah. last field one. And I feel so much better. Like I, I feel better. You, yeah. It gives you a little bit of grace with yourself. And like, I will always have a Starbucks in my hand and just, you know, um, and just limit it, but you can have coffee. And just like, I had someone who was getting like crazy headaches and I was like, you know, did you change anything? She's like, yeah, I used to drink a lot of coffee and like, I just cold turkey, like cut out all my caffeine. And I was like, please go get a coffee. Like, you know, like you're going to be okay. And like, that's just adding more stress to this already stressful cycle. And so, um, or just like extreme diets and just things like that. Like, yes, we can all eat healthier. I mean, but we don't need to sit there and like just scrutinize every morsel we're putting into our body. If this is going to help my fertility or not. Absolutely. Can we, because we have not actually talked about PCOS on the podcast before this episode (laughs) at all. Can you, from a practitioner standpoint, maybe go into, and you kind of touched on it, but go into like, if someone was going to present to you at 22 Mm -hmm. years old and says, okay, I just was diagnosed with PCOS, (laughs) similar situation of you. What would those kind of treatments look like from the beginning? And I know you were saying timeline is involved as well, but 
What are some so, options? Yeah. So um, again, letrozole, we really love letrozole in um, PCOS patients. It really tends to work well in getting their ovaries to kind of, I kind of describe it to my patients. Um, if you um, think of a PCOS looking ovary, a polycystic ovary, you see all these nice, healthy, you know, antrophollicles and you look at it and you say, oh my gosh, this person has like beautiful ovarian reserve, they'll have no problem. But when you kind of think of it as like, they're all sitting there and they're all waiting for that signal to grow and get big and ovulate. But then there's just so many of them that they're like fighting over who's going to get the signal and who's going to go. And they're like, no, you go, no, you go, no, you go. And then no one goes. And so then they're just like, get this forever maintenance state of like your hormones is kind of staying at this, you know, plateau. And so, and then you don't ovulate and then you don't get a period um, or you get very irregular periods um, and just kind of sporadic ovulation. And so <clears throat> a lot of times we'll start with like, let's just see if we can get your ovaries to listen and get a, like one, you know, and everyone I think too is like, oh, I want six follicles at my ultrasound scan for an IUI. And I'm like, I don't because you're going to give me severe anxiety. And like, we really want to limit multiples and things like that. Like we want you to get pregnant, but we want you to have, you know, a safe pregnancy, a safe delivery, um, both for mom and baby. And so we really try to limit that. And, um, so yeah, so we'll um, you know do labs and things if they've already come to us with diagnosed PCOS and just let's just see if we can get them to ovulate. And so we'll start with letrozole. Typically, just PCOS patients tend to respond really well to that. It's an oral medication. Usually, we start that on cycle day three, um, and then there's kind of a varying doses dosages that we can try um, and for different duration. And we just kind of have to fine tune for that patient what's going to work for them. Some people take one tab of letrozole, two tabs, and boom, we get the response we need. We have one or two really beautiful, you know, follicles that develop and are ready for either a timed intercourse or an insemination. And um, <clears throat> we go from there. Some patients, you know, will scan them. And again, they've all been fighting for that signal and not a single follicle really pushed forward and um, started to grow to um, a dominant follicle size. And so we can do something which is really nice with letrozole is we can either, if they have one that's getting close to maybe getting over the edge, you know, hey, maybe let's repeat an ultrasound in a couple of days just to see that, you know, gets the message just a little bit delayed. Um, <clears throat> and if we still don't see that response or, you know, at that first ultrasound, we're really not seeing anything. What's really nice about letrozole is we can do something called a stair step. And so we'll just start you on the next highest dose without waiting for a period again or without doing Provera or anything like that, which again, time is of the essence in most of our minds and you know a two-week delay a three-week delay is an eternity and so it's really nice to be able to say yes this is a small delay but not as big of a delay if we had to wait for a period or something like that and so we can go ahead and start that medication today we'll do your ultrasound a couple days after your last dose and hopefully we get the response we wanted then so that's um, aw no, so. that's awesome. I actually was going to ask you if letrozole was a shot or a pill and you explained yeah. that. So yeah. <laughs> that yeah. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And letrozole <laughs> tends to be tolerated better by a lot of, you know, Clomid for a long time was um, kind of the first line um, for a lot of um, patients, but letrozole tends to get a better response, especially in PCOS patients. It tends to um, do better with the endometrial lining. Um, and then we also, again, some tend to be better tolerated by patients. That's yeah. That's really interesting. Cause I always just hear, Oh, Clomid's kind of like step one for every, anything and everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. And then I guess, you know, with PCOS too, I mean, most, do, would you say like when you see a, a woman in the clinic that has PCOS, they're generally getting price or is it just different every time? <laughs> it really depends on <laughs> the patient. And that's the other thing is 
I think, um, I love podcasts like this where you're really getting like fairly solid, you know, I, I would like to say myself as a fairly solid source of information and, you know, and Dr. Snow and, you know, Paige and things like that where, um, you're getting good information. Um, but we have some patients that will kind of go on these blogs and they're, um, you know, the deep dark web, which I hate to admit, but like I have looked at those at some point in my fertility journey and they're like, you know, again, like comparing endometrial linings and they're comparing, um, like I'm, I have a very, very annoying uterus. I am never going to have a 13 millimeter lining. I don't need a 13 millimeter lining. I have my son with a not great lining and you know, he's here. And so just, that was my personal best for my lining. And that's, um, so again, I think this, this, this comparison is, um, yeah. So just, you can't compare. I think, you know, if I have a 20 year old PCOS patient versus a 38 year old PCOS patient, their results are going to be different. And so just really talking to your provider, not saying like, Hey, I, you know, I saw on this blog, this person got pregnant on their first IUI or like, they just did time intercourse. Like, why can't that happen for me? You don't know their story. And a lot of people leave out details in those blog posts. Like, you know, someone's struggling and you're like, Oh wow, I got pregnant doing this. Why isn't this person? Well, that person's 42. Like they might have a little bit different of an outcome, you know, than you are having. And so really talking to your provider and sitting there and saying like, what is my personalized treatment plan for me? What are your plans? And like altering that plan as needed, as we figure out more about what my body needs and what is my personalized chances of success that, you know, that you can best guess. Cause again, everyone at the end of the day is going to have these slight different nuances about them that makes, you know, them different in their treatment. So yeah, no, I would definitely say you're a solid source of information. I've, le- I've learned, I'm just listening to you talk and I'm like, wow, she's so well-spoken and I work in healthcare. So I always think the nurse practitioners are like really the best. They, they, you guys give a little bit more time and a yeah. little bit more, you know, patient centered care, which is just so yeah. nice to have in a clinic. Um, I know there was a couple more Q and A's on the Instagram. Amanda, did you, I'm like trying to read through them. Do you have any? Yeah. So someone asked if anything surprised you, um, or anything that you like learned during your IVF cycle that you now tell your patients, I know you kind of mentioned a few things, but, (laughs) um, what is it? I, oh gosh, there's so many things just like little things like that. We, and I love my medical assistants that I work with. We're really good at, um, you know, giving like tips and tricks here and there. Like, um, you know, like men appear and such a tide. Like, I'm pretty sure when I started such a tide, like I would get like weird, itchy, like hive on my stomach. I'm like, unfortunately that's very common and normal and like can burn. Like some of these medications burn. And if they're not told that you might call the clinic at like six oh, o'clock absolutely. at night when you're probably, like, my stomach is burning. Like what is wrong? And then yeah. you're like, Oh, going away. Never mind, It stopped. And then, you know, like little things like that. Um, and just, um, yeah. So just like little tips and tricks. Um, I try to, you know, with progesterone and oil, like, you know, everyone that's, you know, the most fun medication, you know, I just gave myself a shot this morning. And so just, um, you know, trying to get them to, you know, tips and tricks of like warming it, getting it, you know, more so closer to your body temperature and just, um, to help it, you know, disperse using a heat pack versus an ice pack for things like that. Wait, so what do you suggest? Cause I know like, I, when I went through it, I, like I did ice, but some people have said heat. So I'm curious, <laughs> like, I kind of think of it, it's an oil, you know, or at least most of the progesterone people are taking an injection is an oil. So like, if you get it really cold, it's going to congeal more. And so yeah. just kind of using, you know, I used to like, and I still do, 
like I'll pull it up in the syringe and I'll kind of put it in my arm and like do stuff and then kind of get it closer to my body temperature. And then I usually, you know, don't do heat right away, but if it's starting to get kind of knotted or something, I'll use a heat pack later. Um, is just to help kind of like let the medication disperse and you know break up those lovely progesterone and oil knots that you get in your backside. <laughs> I'm gonna make everyone in our what the fertility group listen to that because we had a legitimate argument over yeah. ice or heat, yeah. and I was using heat, yeah. and you're like, yeah. no, 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 you have to use ice. But yeah. to your point, it's oil, so you want it to be like yeah. more like liquid. You by all means do ice, but just. I mean, sure, I guess if you put on ice before, it can have like a numbing effect, but that's I- That's what I did it for, so that yeah. I didn't feel the shot as much. So I like yeah. would ice my like my butt right yeah. before, and we would warm up the actual oil like in my arm, like yeah. you said. And <laughs> so you do a mix, maybe, yeah. yeah, so I guess a mixture works, yeah. but- mm-hmm. It's different for everyone. But like, even me, like I came in, we did a, we had a failed transfer last month and I came in the office one day and I was like, oh my gosh, Nicole, look at my butt. Like, I don't know how I did this, but I like, I gave myself, cause I give myself my shots. I gave myself a massive bruise. I was like, oh my God, like, girl. And I was like, I know. And I was like, you know, like, Wait. no, it's perfect. Like I too bruised myself. And just, yeah. So yeah. since we're talking about it, cause I now have another personal question. Yeah. So my husband gave me all the shots, but he was too nervous to like what they tell you to pull the needle back. Yeah. You know, you like put it in, you're supposed oh, to pull yeah. it back. He never did that. Is that bad? I mean, Yes. We'd prefer you to check, um, but obviously, like, you're fine. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I'm fine yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just curious. We prefer one. you to check just to make sure you're in the right spot. But, um, yeah, you know, overall, the medication is probably getting where it needs to go. What'd you say? I said you don't want to see, like, blood. Is that why we pull back? don't want to see yeah. blood pull back. Yep. Because then I guess you got into a nerve or vein or vein. Yeah. Vein. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, we sorry for the tangent. <laughs> You're good. Lucky. Yeah. I know I never bruised either. So I guess he was just like really good at all of them. Yeah. I also didn't get pregnant. Like, I mean, I didn't stay pregnant from the fat. Yeah. So we only had like 12 shots. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, we were traveling during my last transfer and I was like, sad that it didn't work. I was like, oh, at least I get a little break from progesterone shots. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I know. That's the only upside of it not working. You're like, oh my gosh, I don't have to do another I know. Shot. I have to like, literally like every time I give them to myself, I just have to like psych myself up because you just know yes. it hurts. Yeah. You're like, all right, it's time to do this. So. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Well, is there anything else you want to share with our listeners? I know we will tag your Instagram, but I also know you have your, you know, you have your beautiful son, you're in the middle yeah. of another round, but I don't know um, if you really share too much on there anymore. Yeah. Um, I mean, here and there I do, I think, um, you know, I just, I feel like I'm just so I work in it now and I like, you know, it transfer. I'm like, okay. And you know, doing another transfer. Like I had a friend last night, she's being so sweet. She's like, what can I do for you for your transfer? Oh my gosh, this is a big week. And I was like, that's fine. Like (laughs) for me. So, um, common place now. Yeah. yeah, Um, but yeah, I think just, again, just like giving yourself grace. Don't compare yourself to your friend or this random person on a blog. Um, do what works for you. Um, you know, again, if certain things make you feel like you have more control or they help calm you, or like, that's your time in the week to just relax, like by all means do it. But if it's going to be like, an extra financial strain or you, you know, it stresses you out more, like counting out all these extra dietary pills for like supplements and stuff, like don't do it. And just, um, make sure you talk with your healthcare provider about trying things. Like we're pretty supportive of like, sure. If you want to try that, do it. But, um, you know, we're really honest with like, 
A, that's you know, an extra cost that's not really needed. Um, there's you know mixed research on it, if any research at all, and just like, but these things do have research backed evidence. And so like, let's make sure we're doing these things and like anything else is like extra and just, um, <clears throat> some of these supplements can alter your hormones. And so just making sure that your provider knows that you're on them. And like, if you're having elevated testosterone and DHEA, like maybe it's cause they're on supplements. Like, are they taking all these extra supplements that we didn't know about? And so, um, just things like that. Um, I think are just important to remember. Yeah, that's so great. So I think too, another um, thing that people don't realize, and I've heard lots of people ask me myself is, um, oh, you've had one baby um, from IVF, like next one's going to be, you know, easy peasy, like, and, or like, do you even have to do IVF again? Cause there are these awesome stories where you hear someone did IVF um, and then spontaneously conceived their second or their third child. And awesome for those people, but that's just wasn't the case for me, <laughs> especially with my PCOS. And so, um, I actually had a, um, complication with my son Z and, um, at delivery where my placenta was attached to my uterus and they didn't know it at delivery. And so I had a vaginal delivery and I had an awesome OB and she like, I remember like delivering my placenta and being like, that's not normal. And then oh, she was like, I got you girl. And then so she, you know, she's like, go back up there, you know, let me do my job. And so she had to do, um, a DNC at delivery and I had to get some extra Pitocin and some side attack and antibiotics. And then <clears throat> everything was pretty good. And I, um, went home with COVID. So I went home like what, like 24 hours, 25 hours after having him. Cause they were kind of kicking us out of the hospital. And, um, <clears throat> I had a really hard time breastfeeding. And I was like, oh, maybe this is just really hard for me, whatever. Something's not right. You know, we'll do mixed with formula because he was losing weight and things like that. And then I started bleeding really, really heavily at six weeks postpartum. And I was like, this is not normal. And I went to my OB office. They did an ultrasound and I had a massive chunk of, chunk of placenta still stuck in my body. And it had attached to my uterine wall. And, uh, you know, after a delivery, your uterus is so enlarged. And so it's hard to really make sure that they get everything out. And so, um, well, when you have placenta in your body, your body still thinks you're somewhat pregnant, which is why my milk wasn't coming in. And oh, so I was like, yeah, I was able to like pump a little bit, but nothing crazy. And he wasn't latching because the flow wasn't there. And so we were supplementing. And so she took me back and we did, um, another DNC with a, something called MyoSure, which lets them like really make sure they can visualize the, um, you know, uterine cavity and, um, let them kind of more precisely take out, um, what needs to not be in there. And so, um, we did that and, um, we we're like, Oh, everything will be good now. And like literally the next day after my surgery, my son breastfed like a champ, like he was like, and I was able to breastfeed until he was, you know, 13 months old. <clears throat> and wow. so, yeah, I just, that's I was, really dangerous too, yeah. right? Like, I mean, you yeah, it's um, a hysterectomy or something. Yeah. And so it, it can be very, very dangerous. I actually had a friend who had, um, a very similar experience and, um, she had an undiagnosed accreta and bled out so badly that she needed like eight units of blood transfused and had like this Bakri, this big balloon put in her uterus. And, um, she, yeah, it was like a whole deal. And so, uh, it can be very, very dangerous. It's, um, one of the leading causes of death if, um, it does occur, um, in a pregnancy. Um, and so it just, it can be, it can be very dangerous. And so I was very lucky that I had a great team, um, <clears throat> that was working with me. <laughs> and then, um, I was like, 
something's not right, you know, for sure. And Dr. Hunter, who I work with was like, something's probably not right. You know, especially with you, you know, you love to throw me lots of like little surprises. And so, um, we did a stately ultrasound, which, um, we do pretty commonly before, you know, someone's first, um, embryo transfer. And then again, after they've had a delivery before another transfer for a second or third baby or whatever it might be. And we did a saline ultrasound and um, I had lots of scarring, lots and lots of uterine scarring just from all the procedures and the birth and everything. And so um, I basically, the whole um, like upper left side of my uterus, which is like kind of fused together, which is called Asherman's syndrome. And so um, <clears throat> Asherman's is kind of, um, <clears throat> I have a partial Asherman's. So there's a whole range of just how this can come about. And so that's something that some women don't know about in secondary infertility and things where they'll have had a um, first pregnancy or whether it resulted in delivery or not, or they've had repeated miscarriages that required DNC. And so that repeated trauma to the uterine of the uterus and the endometrial lining can cause these adhesions. And so that's not a great environment for an embryo, whether it be from natural conception or IVF. And that's what I, I had done a ton of research on it because I've had six miscarriages. Yeah. Um, and the first time they offered a DNC, that was my original fear. Like, oh my yeah. gosh, okay, one DNC is fine. Yeah. But what if I'm going to continuously have to do them? So thankfully I've only done one and I've yeah. only chosen to go that route because of, yeah. you know, the Ashimer syndrome yeah. of like, oh my gosh, I don't, I want the least invasive yeah. method possible. Yeah. And, and it's you- only like 1% of patients end up with that, right? Or is it higher than that? Um, I, yes, but again, it depends on the, exactly the extent of like what they're having done. Like if you're doing like a routine DNC, um, like scheduled, it's non-emergent. It wasn't after, you know, it wasn't for placental issues where like, again, mine had kind of embedded into the wall. So again, just, there's kind of some nuances, um, to it, but yes, um, it can happen and it can happen rarely with, and I mean rarely. So if you have an IUD, don't freak out, but it can happen with like an IUD. Um, just things like that can cause, um, you know, adhesions and scarring. And so, um, some people have had it just generally, like they have not had any like known history of anything. And so, um, so yeah, we kind of were like, Hey, let's get this taken care of before I want to do another embryo transfer. And I wasn't really ready for an embryo transfer at the time, but I was like, Hey, let's just, start the process. And so, um, I had to stop breastfeeding at that point. So it was, he was like 13 months old because I was going to do hormones. So, um, Dr. Hunter did another hysteroscopy on me and just kind of helped, um, make my uterus somewhat back to normal. Um, but in doing so he, I had like little micro calcifications in my uterus. So, um, he tried to clear out as much as that as he could and try to like, um, fix the scarring and adhesions and things like that. And then started me on estrogen to help replenish my endometrial tissue and lining. Um, and then I would cycle with Provera. And so we did three cycles of three or four cycles of estrogen for a couple of weeks. And I was doing the patches and sometimes some oral, and then I would do Provera, get a period, which was like, so weird to me because I just don't get periods. I was like, oh, this looks lots to do. <laughs> crazy. Right? Um, and I would like come into the office all moody and he'd be like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, uh, you made me have this period. So yeah, like, this is your fault. Uh, yeah, this is your fault. Um, so um, I did a couple cycles where I would, you know, get a period to help again, just kind of normalize my endometrial tissue and make it, you know, healthy or hope to get it healthy. And um, my uterus is still um, a train wreck of sorts, but you know, he's uh, done his best to kind of help, you know, fix it to make it as normal as it can be for me. Um, so I had, again, thin lining issues with my first child. 
And so now I still have some somewhat thin issues, but I just have all this like lovely scarring and like calcifications. And so um, we're trying like all the things. I'm like the office, like guinea pig, which has been hilarious. <laughs> but um, yeah, so we did that transfer um, last um, month, which unfortunately was not successful. And so we're trying again, I actually have a transfer on Wednesday. <laughs> wow, so, congratulations. So we'll see. Happy being here. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like, cause you said that you had to do like, you wanted to get multiple cycles, I guess, to get your yes. uterus back. So like getting yeah. your period a few times. So mm -hmm. is that normal? Like, will most people have to do that like a couple times or? Um, if you have, um, with Asherman's, yes and no. Again, it depends on that person's timeline and how severe their scarring was. And I also had these like lovely little like micro calcifications. <laughs> like my uterus is, we have a new nurse training with us right now. And we did a procedure where we, um, instilled this solution into my uterus the other day. And so she was like trying to learn how to find a <laughs> uterus from a transabdominal. And I was like, you're welcome. Cause my scarring like lights up. You can like see my oh, uterus. Really? I was like, you're welcome. And like giving you this path to find my uterus. So <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, so yeah, so we wanted to kind of like let my body do its thing. Let it, I, again, I don't get normal cycles. So let's just kind of let it cycle through, um, get out whatever extra. Cause you, you know, you try to remove whatever you can during surgery, but sometimes little things get broken loose that you didn't able to pull out. And so just like letting that all come out naturally, um, and just kind of giving my tissue a chance to regenerate a little bit. That's awesome. That's so interesting. Cause I had a hysteroscopy and they like removed, I have like an arcuate uterus, yeah. like the, it's, it's, but it's like, it wasn't enough to be classified as needed to be removed, but it also yeah. like after at this point four losses, he's like, let's just remove it. Um, and then I literally got pregnant immediately after that. So I'm like, but it was a chemical. So I'm like, I wonder if that was like kind of in play. <clears throat> never and know. To know. And that's one of the things that I hate the most as a provider is I, you know, not having an answer sometimes. And, it, and sometimes we will never know. Um, was it, you know, some, something that tripped up in the genetics of that embryo? Was it something with the implantation? It was like kind of implanted in a weird spot or, um, something with the interface of the, you know, it's talking to each other and, you know, was it just something that got disrupted and, um, you know, was it the arcuate uterus? You know, we don't know. And so just yeah. sometimes we don't have a clear answer and that's the toughest part. And even for myself, we I mean like sometimes we don't know. And so it can be very frustrating as both a patient and a provider. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Elena. And we wish you the best of luck with your you. transfer. Um, thank you so much for being here and sharing all of your insight and knowledge with us. And uh, we're just, we're thankful that you're here. Well, thank you guys so much for having me.